Great. Well, good morning to everyone and welcome to part five in our series, Healing Hurts. And if you've been following along, you know that we're talking about this subject of healing, as the title implies. And the reason we're talking about it now is because we said that Lent, at its core, is a journey towards healing. Okay, we always talk about how Lent is all about our salvation and Christ came to save us. And we said the easiest way to understand what salvation means is healing, is that Christ came not just to take us to heaven when, when we die, but to give us that healed life that begins here and the fulfillment is after we die. But life is all about finding that healing in Christ. And I know it's been, okay, this is week five. So I know week one was like a million years ago and I know our attention span is short. So let's just go quick recap just to remind everyone of where we're at. In the beginning, we said that if Lent is a journey, the most important thing to do on any journey, when you get in your car in the morning and you're about to go on a trip, the most important thing is know your destination. Okay, you have to have a goal. You don't just get in the car and say, I want to go someplace nice. Well, someplace nice like a restaurant. Is that like skiing? Is that like a beach? You got to know where you're going. And Lent is the same way. And for many of us, well, oftentimes Lent is, I want to be good this Lent or I want to grow this Lent, or I want to, this is the best word, benefit. Okay, we use that word benefit to mean, I don't know what benefit means. I want to benefit. And what I said in the beginning is, we may need to make sure, as Christ taught us, that we need to make sure that we have treasures and our aim set in the right place. Because there's some goals and some treasures that moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but there's some treasures that no one can take from you. So I hope that everyone had a goal or has a goal, and it's still not too late in case you haven't started, but something that is giving purpose to your fasting and your prayer and everything that you do, especially as we approach Holy Week. And as I said, the goal is not an outside thing. The goal is not like to start a new routine. So it shouldn't be like my goal is to pray every day or my goal is to fast all of Lent. Like those are good habits and those are good disciplines and practices, but they're not the goal. They're a means to a goal. And the problem is if they become your goal, then all you're doing is sticking on the surface and you're never going deep inside. Think more of digging deep, getting to the root, not just covering the cough and not just covering the sneeze, but getting to the virus, okay, or the root on the inside. Exactly as if you had a tree that was not bearing fruit. Are you going to focus on the leaves? Or are you going to focus on the soil and then the roots? We're going to do the same in our spiritual lives we're going to work on the foundation. And that's why what we've been doing for the past three weeks is every week talking about a different foundational virtue, something that needs to be in the soil for the tree to bear fruit. So if it's not in the soil, no matter how much I work on the leaves or no matter how much I spray water on the leaves or no matter how much sunlight the leaves get, if the soil is not healthy, it's never going to bear fruit, at least not good fruit. Who remembers what the first of those virtues was? We talked about it three weeks ago. Who remembers? Father Timothy spoke to us. What was the first virtue? Humility. Very good. We talked about humility and humility is the starting point because it's about establishing the proper relationship. Okay. And we need to remember, if you remember what father Timothy said that we are the patient, not the doctor. That's the starting point right here as we're the sick ones. He's the healed one. So we are not coming to tell him what we need or what to do. We're not coming to complain. We're coming to listen. We're coming to be told to be instructed. We are coming to submit because ultimately he is the creator and we are the creation, and we need to make sure that we get the order right, or else we're never going to have any fruit in our spiritual lives. Second virtue, we talked about two weeks ago. Who remembers what the second one was? Honesty, very good. 
And honesty was not about saying the truth, but about living the truth. That's where he talked about the prodigal son. And the prodigal son had two, there was, there was two clear parts to his story. There was pre-honesty and post-honesty. And pre-honesty was miserable and suffering and alone and sick, we could say. Okay. And then post-honesty was celebration and rejoicing and joy. And the hinge was him coming to himself and realizing, you know what? Like he was the original, it's not you, it's me guy. Okay, that was the prodigal son. He's the first one to come to that conclusion. You know what? Truly, it's not you, father. It's me. And I got a problem. He came to himself and it was all good after that. Last week, Father Abraham spoke to us about the third. Who remembers what the third one was? We talked about last week. Repentance, very good. And repentance is just so important because this life, this journey that we're on is not just a 55-day journey. Like we're just talking about Lent, but it's our entire lives and it's a marathon. And there's going to be many times where you stumble. So that's why Father Abraham talked about last week how we need to make repentance not an act that we do. It begins as an act, but it hopefully becomes a lifestyle because this thing is, this thing is long. This thing is not going to, we, we expect it to run this race for many years to come. Repentance will be your best friend in this race. Repentance will be your best friend. Maybe better not race on this journey. Repentance will be your companion on this journey. Everywhere you go, change of mind, change of behavior, just like father Abraham talked to us last week. So that's a quick recap. And I told you the analogy that would, would kind of carry us through is the idea of building a house. So think of it this way. Humility is like the foundation of the house. That's the starting point. That's where you dig deep and you make sure that every, that has to be there. If you don't realize that you are the patient, you are the creature, if you don't realize that you're the servant. Okay. If you get these two roles, nothing else matters. If you don't get this thing right. And then honesty, think of honesty as like the frame of the house or the walls of the house. All right. Everything that we do has to be inside this frame of honesty. Once we step outside of honesty and we start lying to ourselves, then we're going to get ourselves in trouble. And then repentance, think of it like the floor of the house where everything that we do, okay, when, when it's sunny and when it's rainy or whatever it may be, when it's morning and night, we're always walking on repentance. Repentance is every step. Repentance is not something that we're done. We're always, as long as we're inside this house and we're living with Christ in this house, we have to be built on humility inside the walls of honesty, walking on the floor of repentance. And if you've been listening and following along so far, you're thinking to yourself, Father Anthony, the house is pretty boring. It's a foundation. Okay, we know that's important. And walls. Yeah, but who cares about walls? And then a floor. They gave us a floor. That's what's so exciting in the house. Well, good news for you. Today, we're going to get to the fun, fun part of the house. We're going to put some juice inside this house and we're going to make it a fun place to be. But I got to preface it and say what we're going to talk about today. The order is important. So the minute that we let go of one of the three that we already talked about, the honesty, the, the humility, the honesty, and the repentance, when we start to stray from those, then everything else all bets off. So it's not just check, check, check. And now we get to the good stuff. No, the good stuff is going to come, but the order is important. So we're going to keep on those three and those are consistent. Okay. And what we're going to build on top of that today, we're going to add some electricity to the house. We're talking about grace and grace is when you turn on the power inside the house. Imagine let's put on our thinking caps since Claudine was like our teacher today. Okay. Let's put on our thinking caps today. Imagine trying, like we all know what electricity is. Imagine trying to explain it to someone who lived on a planet where there's no electricity. 
or someone who had never heard of electricity or someone who had never seen Imagine trying to explain what is electricity? All I can think of is it's juice that makes dead things come to life. That's what electricity is. And I know that's not the most technical definition, but think about it. If I got a vacuum cleaner here, this is a vacuum cleaner. Someone who's never heard of electricity would say, it's like a statue. It's like a monument. It's like a thing. And you say, no, this thing actually, you know, it's, it, it, it picks up stuff off the ground. You say, wow, I don't know how that works. But then you plug it in and all of a sudden it comes to life. It starts moving and screaming and doing stuff. You're like, wow, it's like Frankenstein. What electricity did is took this dead object, which just sits in a closet. You give it electricity and boom. Think of a microwave oven. What is a microwave oven? To me, it's Star Wars. That's what a microwave oven is with electricity. So what happens in there? It's like there's lasers and beans and shooting, okay? And stuff is taking place and little, little, little hot dogs are, are exploding and juices going everywhere. And it's like, wow, it's like Star Wars in there. When electricity. How about a TV? What is a TV? It's a box. It's a, it's a box on the wall that just has a black screen. Then all of a sudden you plug it in and people come to life inside. People, okay, different people. And they're moving and they're running and they're talking and we're listening to them and we're traveling through time. That's what electricity is. Electricity, follow me here, makes the impossible possible. It goes from death to life. And what I want to say is grace is the electricity of God. It's the power of God. It's the touch of God. And it is the solution, I promise you, the solution to every problem in our lives. Don't believe me? Look what St. Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. He says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. St. Paul is saying, the solution to your problem in life, whatever it may be, in all areas, in all aspects, every work, is the grace of God. Because the grace of God is the electricity of God. It doesn't transform, like the vacuum doesn't go from slow to fast with electricity. The microwave doesn't go from like, eh, to super with electricity. It goes from dead to alive. From stationary, immobile, has no value. A vacuum has no value without electricity. Same with the microwave, same with the TV. But with it, it transforms it. And that's the same thing in our spiritual lives. Fasting is good. Praying is good. Giving is good. But these things... Without the grace of God, all you're doing is spinning your wheel. All you're doing is torturing yourself. You're pushing yourself and you're striving, but you're never going to find healing outside of the grace of God. But grace, like I said, transforms everything. Because grace is the power of God in our lives. Grace is the power of God in our lives. Think of God as the electric company. Okay, mine is dominion power. And think of grace as when he turns the power on the juice that goes into the outlets and grace is the power of God in our life. When it's on, everything comes to life. When it's off, everything is dead. And what we're going to talk about today is how to live with the grace of God on in our lives. We're talking about what turns it off, what turns it on and how to live with that grace in our lives. But first we need to start with a definition. Usually when you hear the word grace defined, you would hear something along the lines of a free and undeserved gift. That's usually how we define grace. And that's a good definition, but I want to try to get, get a little bit more, be a little more clear and explain it a little bit more. 
The problem with grace, it's very difficult to define because it's very unhuman. Grace is the opposite of what we do. We are more eye for an eye kind of a people. So that's why whatever definition we give for grace usually falls very short of the reality. So when that's the case, we'll try to go some more analogies and some more pictures and some verses, but it always falls short. Like we think grace is, when we say grace, it just means before you devour the food, say thank you God for the food and then we devour it. We gave, we look at that grace. Okay, in just a two-second prayer. Or we think if we give a, a, a generous tip, we are very gracious. And those are true. I'm not saying those things are bad. But the grace of God, grace is much bigger than any of those things. Let's start in a passage from Ephesians chapter 2, where St. Paul, it's a long passage, but St. Paul tells us what grace, where, what is grace and what does it look like? St. Paul says, he says, and you... He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Okay, remember that phrase. In which you once walked according to the course of this world and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So the starting point, he hasn't talked about grace yet, but he sets the foundation. He sets the context. You are dead. You are sinner. You are dead in your trespasses, dead in your sin, in which you once walked, you were children of wrath, just as the others. So the starting point is, like the dead vacuum cleaner, like the dead microwave, like the dead TV, an item that is dead because of its own choice and its own sin. That's the starting point. Now, verse four, but God, so but is a good word. You were dead, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. So he starts by saying, you're a dead vacuum cleaner. You're a dead microwave. You're dead in your sin. But God, who is rich in mercy, great in his love, he took the uh, dead and he made it alive. So this is good news. This, think of it like a car that had died, okay? A car that was dead, a car that was worthless, the, the thing died. And because we love the car, we give it a new motor. We say, now it's brought it back to life. But you know what? That's not grace. That's not all the grace. Grace is even more. He didn't just go from dead to alive. Look what he does here. Verse six. Not only he made us alive, he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So he didn't just go from dead to alive, but he made dead to alive to sit in the heavenly places. So you can think about it. The car that was dead, give it a new motor. And then while we're at it, give it a wax and a polish as well. And let's replace the tires and let's shine the, the thing and let's spray the rain X, the good stuff on the windshield. And that, that's, what, that's, what, that's, what, that's what he did. He didn't just go from dead to alive, dead to alive, to made us sit in the heavenly places. Think of it as when we sin, God doesn't take us from minus 10 back to zero. He doesn't just take us from minus 10 to zero. He doesn't even take us from minus 10 to plus 10. Take us from minus 10 to plus 348. Like that's what grace is. It doesn't match. And then he reminds us of why he did this. Why he took us from zero or from minus 10 to zero to positive 348. For by grace, you have been saved. Verse eight, for by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So based on that passage, here's our working definition of what grace is. And follow me here. It's a little, little wordy. Grace is not giving us what we deserve and then giving us what we could never earn. 
So there's two parts to it, okay? And again, I know it's kind of a clunky sentence, but follow me here. I know it's probably not grammatically the best way, but it makes my point. Grace is first, not giving us what we deserve. So you deserve minus 10. So the starting point of grace is, I'm not going to give you minus 10. So you say, wow, I owed you 10 and you just let it go and took me to zero. It says, no, that's the first half of grace. You owed me $10 and I said, forget about it. Grace is not giving us what we deserve. On top of it is giving us we could never earn. So you owe me 10 bucks and I give you 348 bucks. That didn't work. Well, how's that work? Like if I, if you owe me 10 bucks, your best bet is I say, don't pay me. You don't like, oh, you, you're, you're off or pay me half. But this is saying you owe me 10. You don't have to pay me. I give you $384. See how grace works. Let me give you another analogy to make it more clear. Let's say my car, let's say I'm driving or I'm parked or whatever it is. And someone hit and run my car. Someone comes and hits my car, smashes it. Okay. They're not a fan of Sonatas. Okay. So there goes the Sonata. I've been lasting 11 years in the Sonata. Boom. There she goes. And, and, and someone hits my car and runs. I have many choices of what I can do. Let's work our way up. First thing that runs through my mind, because I'm a human being, I'm a bad person. I'm going to go find them and slash their tires. Or I'm going to go run my beat up car into their fancy car and I'm going to get even. We would call that vengeance to go get even. Then you say, you know what? I'm not a bad person. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go slash their tires. I'm not going to go vengeance. I'm going to call the police and let the police handle this. We would call that justice. You have every right to do that. No one would argue. You have every right. Call the police, take them to court, whatever it is. Then you say, you get to court and the guy is begging and pleading and I don't have money. So you say, okay, you know what? Don't worry about it. I dropped the charges. We would call that mercy. That's not grace. We would call that mercy. That's all the first half. That's all not giving you what you deserve. You know what grace is? Grace is I find you. I wash your car, replace the spark plugs and promise to change your oil for the rest of the life. That's what grace is. Is that not slashing your tires, not calling the cops. I drop all charges. But then on top of that, I'm going to do you even better. And I'm going to improve you. And you say to yourself, that's ridiculous. That's the definition of ridiculous. No one in their right mind would do that. That's grace. That's what grace is. It's ridiculous. It don't make any sense. Like I'll give you a verse right now that makes no sense. I'll give you a verse right now that makes no sense. And this is actually one of the verses that the priest prays during the divine liturgy. It's one of the silent prayers. Before we participate in communion, the priest is praying this and he quotes Romans 5.20. He says, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. You're like, that doesn't make any sense. Where sin abounded, grace abounded more? No, what it should say is, where good deeds abounded, grace abounded more. Like that's what it should say, right? Like this must be a typo. It should be where sin abounded, punishment abounded. Where good abounded, grace abounded. That's what it should say. But it doesn't. Because grace is, you sinned, you sinned, grace. And again, it's not a one-to-one. You sinned one, the grace is two. You sinned two, the grace is seven. You sinned seven, the grace is 700. That's the way it works. When sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Doesn't make any sense. Let me tell you how crazy this is. Can you imagine? Like, imagine a scenario like this. Imagine a scenario where, I don't know, I'm just making this up. 
Imagine a scenario where a kid is so bad to his parents. Let's say you got a son who's so bad to his father. He's so rude. He's so disobedient. He's defiant. And he basically says to his dad, I don't want to see you. I don't want to talk to you. And he takes half of his inheritance money while the dad is still alive. A sign that is so rude that basically saying, I can't wait for you to die. And can you imagine this horrible, horrible son? Shortly thereafter, the dad throws a party for him. That's ridiculous. That could never, that could never be real life. I think you know what story I'm talking about. Imagine a woman who broke every single one of God's laws, every single one. And everyone knew there was good people. There was bad people. There was sinner people. And then there was her. She's in her own special category. And everybody knew who she was. She was shamed by everyone because she deserved it because she was that bad. She broke every one of God's laws. And can you imagine that the first time that God sees her, he gives her something to drink. And he says, I want to give you more than just this drink. And she has the encounter of a lifetime, never condemned, never made feel guilty. In fact, the exact opposite. She has a one-on-one encounter with the divine right in front of her face. Can you imagine? Or can you imagine a man who committed a serious sin, a serious sin that had a serious consequence. And in one moment, in one moment, without this man even acknowledging his sin, without anything, Christ comes to him and heals him. Well, that's the story of today's gospel, which takes place in John chapter five. And it's a story that we just heard a few minutes ago. And it's a story, you know, well, about a man who sat by a pool for 38 years. And he was at this pool for 38 years and he was a paralyzed man. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Christ comes and says, hey, you want to be healed and get out of this place? Like, like, are you done here? Like, let's get out of here. And the man says, sure. And Christ heals him. But that's not the whole story about grace. Like if all you know is the man was sick and the man was healed, you're missing the point of the grace. Because Jesus comes to him. And like I said, he asked him a unique question. He doesn't ask it too many people. He says, do you want to be made well? And when Jesus asked that question, he kind of, implied or he kind of revealed that there's more to this story than just a physical ailment, that there's more to the story here because many people, he never asked them, do you want to be made well? So he asked them, there's some kind of choice involved. And then he heals him. And then at the end of the story, John chapter five, verse 14, we start to see the grace afterward, after Jesus had healed him afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Now, we don't know what what Jesus is talking about, but it's clear what Jesus is saying right here is there's something in this man's past, some kind of sin that is connected with his sickness. We don't know what Jesus didn't say. It could be like a direct one-to-one correlation. Like maybe he was, you know, like we got drinking, driving, like maybe he was drinking and riding his camel. Okay, like maybe he had too many... too much to drink. And then he got on his camel and he got into a horrible camel accident at that intersection because the light was broken or whatever it may be. So that's why he's paralyzed. It could be a direct correlation, a one-to-one, or it could be, there's no direct correlation, but he lived a sinful life. And maybe God was using this illness to get his attention. Or maybe this is just the result of sin after sin after sin. We don't know. Christ doesn't make it clear. But what's clear here is Jesus didn't go to vengeance. He didn't go to justice. He even skipped over mercy. He went straight 
to grace. And it's even more clear in the next verse. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And you say, what's the big deal about this? Well, this is, the Jews were kind of annoyed that Jesus did this miracle on the Sabbath. So the Jews came to him after he was healed and said, who did this? And whoever did this broke the law and broke the law and he broke the Sabbath. And the man was like, I don't know who it was. Okay. The Pharisees were like, we need to know who this was. The Pharisees were kind of like the hall monitors. Okay. Like they're the Sabbath police. Like you broke the Sabbath and you, you, that's who they were. And they were always looking for someone who broke it. And they came to him and said, who did this? And he's like, I don't know. And then he discovers that it was Jesus. And instead of last week's Samaritan woman, who, when she discovered it was Jesus, went and evangelized the whole town that she was from. Instead of, story next week we'll read about the born blind man, who, when he found out it was Jesus, defended him in front of the scribes and the Pharisees. This man goes and does neither of those two. He basically sells him out. He says it was Jesus who did this. Look at the next verse. John, the gospel writer, says it clearly. He says, for this reason, for this reason, meaning the man, for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him he had done these things on the Sabbath. And Jesus knew all this before. From this moment in time, the wheels of Jesus' death were set in motion. And Jesus knew that, that this man who had committed a sin, who Jesus is about to forgive and mercy and heal and grace. And Jesus knew that this man was soon going to be the, 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 the spark. He was soon going to be to push the snowball down the hill of his death and his persecution. That's what Jesus does. That's what grace is. It's not giving you what you deserve and then giving you what you could never earn on top. And I'm telling you, it's not just, this, it's not just the, the paralyzed man. It's not just the Samaritan woman. It's not just the prodigal son. It's me and it's you. God wants to pour his grace in our lives just as much as these. In fact, that's the reason for everything that he did and everything that we do. The reason for the incarnation, the reason that God took flesh, the reason that he lived on this earth, the reason that he died on a cross, the reason that he rose from the dead, the reason that we come to church, the reason that we participate in the sacraments, the reason of all these things is that we could live in the grace of God, that we could have something that we could, did not deserve and could never earn, that we could have what we did not deserve and could never earn. And that is the salvation and the healing of God. This is why we are never, ever afraid. Like we were talking before about honesty and repentance and humility. We're never afraid whenever it comes to God revealing a sin or God rebuking us or God saying, I need to correct this because we know that his ultimate aim isn't to judge us, but to save us and to heal us and to pour his grace. Said another way, God never, God never reveals a sickness that he isn't ready to heal by grace. God never reveals a sickness that he isn't ready to heal by grace. And this is why, like we talked about, the humility, the honesty, and the repentance. These are ongoing. These are always happening. Because anytime God reveals, that's how he is going to heal. And he's never revealing to yell at us or to punish us or to make us feel guilty or shame. He reveals it in order to pour his grace upon us. So that's what grace is. What we could never earn. I'm sorry. What, not what we deserve plus what we could never earn. But even though we can never earn it, what we want to talk about now is how do I get it? Like what are the mechanics of how grace works? 
And I got good news for you and bad news for you as to how grace works. Good news for you and bad for you. Bad news. And that is that there's nothing you can do to get grace. But without you doing something, you'll never get the grace. I know that's a confusing sentence. There's nothing you can do, but without you, you'll never get it. I'll give you an example. Like I said, grace is hard to define. A few months back, or probably a year ago at this point in time, two years ago, I don't know what it was. My father asked my son if he could help him with some chores around the house. Okay, he said he needed some work, and he said it was computer work. That's what it was. He said, I need you to do some work on the computer. And my dad was saying, like, you know, it's easier just to let these young guys do it. You know what I mean? Easier for him, and, you know, he'll give him some money for it. So, of course, I told my son, Michael, of course, you do, and you don't ask for any money. But if he gives you money, okay, you do the, the, the fake, you know, no thank you, and then he gives it. That's, you're fine, okay? Just, you just need one, no thank you, I insist. Okay, just one. Okay, don't go two, just one, okay? That's how his mother raised him, okay? So he, we, it's her rules. So he goes, and when I pick him up later, I said, Michael, how'd it go? He said, I worked for 15 minutes and grandpa gave me 50 bucks. <laughs> 15 minutes of work, 50 bucks. That is an hourly rate of $200 per hour for an 11 year old. Just to do the math there for you. Did Michael earn his $200 per hour? He worked for 15 minutes and knowing my boy, sorry, he probably took three breaks in that time, okay? Did he earn it? Did he do anything to get the 50 bucks? No. But would he have gotten it if he didn't do it? His work was not worth 50 bucks. But would he have gotten the 50 bucks if he didn't do the work? Do you see how this works? Give another example. Y'all know the story of Jesus when he turned the five loaves and two fish and fed the 5,000. A little boy came and brought five pieces of bread, two pieces of fish, and fed 5,000. Five loaves and two fish cannot feed 5,000. It just can't, no matter how you split it up. Like, you can't. Like, five loaves and two, like, if we go out for lunch, if me and you go out for lunch right after this, and you got two pieces of fish and five pieces of bread, like, me and you were going to fight. Like, that's not enough to feed two people. Okay? But somehow this fed 5,000. So did his effort lead to the feeding of 5,000? No, it could never add up. But would it have been fed 5,000 if he didn't offer the five and the two, fi two fish? Do you see how this works? Let me say it this way. Grace is undeserved, but it's not unconditional. Grace is undeserved, but it's not unconditional. Michael. Did you deserve the 50 bucks? No, but you had to do something to get it. Five loaves and two fish, boy. Did you deserve to feed 5,000? No, but you had to do something to get it. And it's the same way with the grace of God in your life and mine. We all wish that it was, we could control grace and we could, we wish that, you know what? If I do this, I'll get this and I can kind of map it out. And the more I do, the more I get and I can make it add up. But that's, that's called wages. That's called salary. That's why you go to work. If you do X, you get Y. But that's not grace. Grace is if you do one, two, you, like I said, if you do 15 minutes, you get 50 bucks. If you do five loads, two fish, you get 5,000. It doesn't add up. But if you don't do it, you get the nothing. You see how this works? Grace is undeserved, but it is also not unconditional. Okay, not un So it is conditional, but you know what I'm trying to say. 
It's not undeserved. It is undeserved, but it's not unconditional. <clears throat> Let me give you two quotes. And these two quotes are coming <clears throat> from two fathers of the church who lived many centuries ago. And the first one says, a man by himself working and toiling at freedom from sinful desires achieves nothing. A man working by himself achieves nothing. But if he plainly shows himself to be very eager and earnest about this, he attains it by the addition of the power of God. God works together with willing souls. That's an important word is that God works together. It's a cooperation. But if this person abandons his eagerness, the spirit of God is also restrained to save the unwilling is the act of one using compulsion, but to save the willing that of one showing grace. See how that works. Me working by myself, me working, me working, me working, me working. Doesn't get me anywhere. That's what we want. We won't be able to control it. Well, some of us, some of us want to be able to control it, but some of us want to do nothing. It's kind of two extremes. Some of us want to be able to control it and make it one plus one equals two. And we want to be able to control it. I say, do this and I do this. And I do. It gets you nowhere. Your own efforts get you nowhere. But without your efforts, you get nowhere. See how it works? We do not control the grace of God, but we must cooperate with the grace of God. It's a mystery. Give another quote from a saint called St. Peter of Damascus. It says, human effort is profitless. Human effort is profitless without help from above. But no one receives such help unless he himself chooses to make an effort. My effort is profitless. I need help from above. But there's no help unless I do my effort. But my effort is profitless. But you need it to get the grace. You see how this works? We, always, we need always both things. We need the human and the divine. Ascetic practice and spiritual knowledge. Let's go back to you. Let's go back to your goal for Lent. What it is that you said, I need this healing in my life. And by now, okay, we are five weeks in or whatever it is. You've come to the conclusion, probably my guess, you've come to the same conclusion that I have about my goal. I can't do it. It is impossible. I stink. And I'm saying this together. I'm seeing lots of nodding heads here. So I'm saying I stink and most likely you stink as well. And we all stink because we cannot do it and no amount of effort. And we tried and we failed and we tried harder and we failed more. And by the end of it, we say, I can't do it. It's impossible. And I'm saying, you can't. You can't accomplish it. But that doesn't mean that you don't have a part to do. You see, that's what I'm saying is some of us, we need to let go control a, bit, a little bit and rely more on the grace of God. Some of us, we need to let go of the grace of God a little bit and do a little more effort on our own part because it's a cooperation is that I must be involved, but I can't do it without God, but God won't do it without me. Actually, that's a nice way of saying it. I can't do it without God, but God won't do it without me. And write that one down. I can't do it without God, but God won't do it without me. Let's say that together. Say, I can't do it without God, but God won't do it without me. No, the same high voice. Okay, I can't do it without God. And then here comes the high part. But God won't do it without me. It has more meaning, okay, when it comes from in here, okay? So what's my part? Okay, at a minimum. That's what we've been talking about. That's what I'm saying. That's the humility. That's the honesty. That's the repentance. I need to keep on doing that. And just because I, I know it won't add up, but I need to keep on being humble. I need to keep on remember who's the patient, who's the doctor. I need to remember that I'm a sinner, but I'm also a child of God. I need to humble myself under his hand. First Peter chapter five, verse five says, all of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility. Why? For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Ah, 
That's why Father Anthony, that's why you were telling us about humility. Because God gives grace to the humble. The point isn't humility for the sake of humility. The point is humility is a prerequisite for the grace of God. So continue to be humble. Continue to pray for this virtue. Continue to remind yourself of who you are. Then keep on going with honesty. Honesty, remember, as we said, honesty searches for the little sins, the little termites, the little leaks in the ship. Because all those little ones, and we don't say it's not a big deal because we said, no, there's no, there's nothing that's too small to sink a big ship. So honesty means keep on looking. Keep on remembering that any enemy on the inside, when I don't know that the enemy is there, is very, very dangerous. Psalm 32, verse 3 through 5. King David says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old though my, through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. That's without being honest. Then look at this. Honesty, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So let's remember that honesty. And let's keep on going. Let's keep on searching. Let's keep on being honest. We don't stop right there. We're gonna go to repentance. Okay, and we're gonna remind ourselves that there is no single action, remember this, no single action will unleash more grace in your life than a life of repentance. No single action will unleash the grace of God in your life more than repentance. First John chapter one, verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And look here, he doesn't say if you defeat your sin, doesn't say if you overcome your sin, doesn't say if, you're, if you remove the sin from your life, he says, simply, come on, just confess, just repent. Will the repentance solve all my problems? No, only God can solve your problems. But you're not going to solve it unless you do your part. We get caught up. We get caught up in, explain to me how this is going to work. Lent is coming, you need to fast. Why? What's fasting going to do? So you're saying if I eat this versus this, what's it going to, why do I need to pray? Why do I need to, rely? what difference does it make if I come to church at nine or nine fifteen or nine thirty? What difference does it make? Just explain to me. So you're saying I'm not going to go to heaven. If I don't come at nine fifteen and I come at nine 30, I'm not going to go to heaven. I'm not saying none of that stuff. What I'm saying is the grace of God is not a one plus one thing. Just like Michael's salary was not based on the minutes that he worked, but he wouldn't have gotten unless he worked it. Just like the feeding of 5,000 was not based on the number of, of fish and bread, but he wouldn't have fed it unless he got it all. Same thing in your life. What is it? What is it? What is it that God is challenging you to do that doesn't make any sense? And you're like, well, it doesn't make any sense. What is it that God is calling you to do? And you can't see the line from where you are to where you want to get. You can't see the line. You can't see how this one action is going to get you there. That's what grace of God is. That's what grace of God is. Don't worry about making it add up. Just do your part. You got five pieces of bread and two fish, offer it up. Let's see what God does. Grandpa asks you to go work, go, go, go spend the 15 minutes and take the three breaks and see what happens. What is God calling you to do? What is God challenging you to do that you said that doesn't make any sense? Like, let's be honest. Okay, I won't talk about you, but I'll talk about myself. This is the story of my life. Isn't this the story of your life? The story of everything in my life is exactly this. That I don't have much to offer. I don't have much good inside me, but I offer what I got. And somehow God makes good out of it. And it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. But that's grace of God. That's the story of my life. That's the story of ministry. We're trying, okay, one of the things that you know is we're trying to raise $7 million to build this building. And we're trying to do this. And we're asking, we're, it's never going to add up to $7 million. It's never going to add up. 
But that doesn't mean I, I got to do my part. And I don't know how it's going to add up. But I'm going to do my part. And I don't know how I'm going to fix my marriage, but I got to do my part. And I don't know how I'm going to raise these kids. I got to do my part. I don't know how I'm going to overcome this sin, but I got to do my part. I don't know. We get stuck on what we need to know. And I'm telling you, grace, grace of God. I can't do it without him. He won't do it without me. Here's a great verse for you. Here's a memory verse. If you're looking for one, Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. Now to him who is, let's read this together. Cause this is one that everyone needs to know on, on three, one, two, three, all together. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Always remember that, that when we do, when we obey, when we submit, it may not add up, but what we are doing is submitting to the one, submitting to the one who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. I can't reach any higher than that. Exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. What's the difference between exceedingly and abundantly? You know the difference? I don't either. There's no difference. Okay. It just means like very, very, very. This is St. Paul's way of saying like God can do a lot. No, no, no. God can very, very do a lot. No, God can very, 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 the exclamation mark, uh, very. That's what St. Paul is saying. Exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think. I wrote down here in my notes as my efforts don't merit the grace of God, but they may unleash it. My efforts do not merit the grace of God, but they may unleash it in our lives. <clears throat> Last example. St. Paul one time found himself in a tough situation, found himself with a sickness that he couldn't heal. He calls it his thorn in his flesh. And he prayed and he begged God and he said, God, please. And he fasted and he did everything right. And he said, okay, you know what? I'm going to take this period of fasting and prayer and nothing. And then he did it again and nothing. And we've all been there. We've all been there where we're like praying and fasting and God is going to do a miracle and God is going to heal and nothing. And then we think to ourselves, like St. Paul thought, when God, when, when am I going to find relief? When am I going to find victory? When am I going to overcome this? We've all been there. St. Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. He said, concerning this thing, and this is a verse that all of us can say, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And St. Paul was not a, like St. Paul was a tough guy. So St. Paul says, I pleaded with God. God, I can't take this anymore. It is too much. God, when are you going to answer? When are you going to remove this? He pleaded with him. And if there's anyone who deserved a little extra love from God, Come on, St. Paul. But that's not how grace works. It's not about the amount of times that you pleaded. It's not about how good you are. St. Paul discovers this. He discovers exactly this point that you can't control the grace of God. You can only cooperate with it. Verse 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, translation, no. God did not heal St. Paul. God did not answer his prayer. He said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. I wanted to end with this example because I wanted to find an example of someone who did everything right. Who did everything right, but didn't get the answer that he wanted. Because this, if we're honest, this is where we find ourselves. 
doing everything right, at least so we, we claim, but finding ourselves lacking, that God didn't come through, that God said no. But this is exactly what I wanted to, to finish with. St. Paul asked for something. God told him no, but God gave him better than he asked. Because what he asked was for healing, but what God says to him is, my grace is sufficient for you. My power, what I'm giving to you is greater. And St. Paul was convinced. Verse, the rest of the verse. He said, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I will rather boast in my infirmities. And I take pleasure, not just boast, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions, distresses for Christ's sake. When I am weak, then I am strong. Listen carefully. I am not saying that doing your little part and trusting in God, I'm not saying it's going to solve all your problems. I'm not saying that by any means. And I can tell you more likely, like St. Paul, it's not going to solve your problems. But what it will do is open your life to something much better than the solution to your problems. Because St. Paul did not get the solution to his problem, but he got something much, much better. It's exactly like the child, like a child who says, I'm, I'm so thirsty, I want a Coke. I'm so thirsty, I want a Coke. I'm so thirsty, I want a Coke. A parent who loves that child will say, you're so thirsty, I'm never going to give you a Coke. I'm going to give you water because I want to solve your deep thirst. It's on the inside and the Coke ain't going to do it. So that's exactly what God does for St. Paul. I need this healing. And that's what God does for us. I need this healing and I need this solution. I need this problem and I need this victory. I need whatever it is. And God says to him, you know what? Thank you. No, but what I am going to give you is much better. And when St. Paul tasted it, when St. Paul tasted the grace that is sufficient for him, he says, you know what? I'm good with the grace. I'm good. Therefore, I'm going to boast in my infirmities. I'm actually proud of them. I'm actually, you know what? I take pleasure in them. How would anyone take pleasure in it? It's exactly like, I remember when we were kids, I used to like those cough drops, okay, the, 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 the lemon cough drops, okay, and I used to like them. So when the teacher, you go, <laughs> can I have, and she, okay, because I just like the taste of the medicine. That's what St. Paul is saying right here. He's saying like, uh, I'm sick. And he's like, no, you're not sick. No, 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 I'm pre-. St. Paul would pretend to be sick to get more of the medicine. St. Paul's saying, I'm weak, and I, and I can't do anything, and I need you, God. Because he tasted of the grace, and he became like an addict. Because the grace of God is the power of God in our lives. And it may not bring solutions, but it does bring healing. And it brings the healing we truly need and seek on the inside. So this week, our challenge this week is to rely on the grace of God. Our challenge this week is to, again, some of us, we need to rely less on our efforts and more on the grace of God. Less on our efforts. One plus one will never get us there. That we're not going to go to the other extreme and not do our efforts. Some of us are on this side. Okay, what little things do we need to keep on doing? But in the end, we rely on the grace of God, which will never add up, which will never make sense. But we trust in the end, if we do our part and if we obey God and if we keep on doing, then it's just a matter of time before God pours his grace in our lives. And that truly is the solution to everything. My prayer for you and for me this week is that each one of us, in the inner parts in our heart, in the inner parts in our heart, would hear the following sentence when we come to God. We would hear him say, my grace is sufficient for you. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the grace that you pour upon all mankind and that you make freely available to every single one of us who call upon you. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking that we can do it on our own. 
And forgive us, Lord, for relying on ourselves more than on you or going to the opposite extreme and giving up on ourselves and thinking that it's just you need to do your part and, and, and it's not on us. Forgive us, Lord, for going to either of these two extremes and help us to truly rely on your grace. So all we have, Lord, is your grace. We will do our part. We will trust, Lord, that in the end, your grace is more than sufficient for us. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers of all your saints. Here it says, we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much, everybody, for watching The Well here at STSA Church Online. If you really enjoyed The Well, there's a whole playlist right here where you can see a lot, lot more. If you want to get more connected with our church, the STSA website is right here. And if you really feel like this message could benefit somebody else, feel free to share it with a lot of your friends and family, or maybe even a couple of coworkers. It's great to reach out. Thank you so much for viewing The Well, and um, hope you have a great day.